What's up, guys, and welcome to episode 16 of Believe in Queens. I'm Joe Serralo. We've got the band back together for the first time in a long time. Anthony Recker, the man beneath me, he's back. Ant, we haven't worked together in a while. It's great to see you. It's been a while. It's been a while. Good to see you too, Joe. We kind of traded places, New York to California, California to New York. We just went back and forth. <laughs> exactly. A little coastal switcheroo. And then, of course, the man who has been the one constant throughout all 16 episodes, Wardy NYM, Tyler Ward. Tyler, what's up, man? How you feeling? I'm feeling electric. I'm pumped. I'm jitty. Let, let's just get into this one. We got, we got so much to discuss. This is going to be a really fun episode. Yeah, we've got a ton to get into. First, I want to remind you all that this episode of Believe in Queens is brought to you by our friends over at BetOnline. Head over to BetOnline.ag for the latest odds, lines, news, and developments in the world of sports. Get your MLB bets in. Guys, football season is right around the corner. I know Anthony's looking forward to hearing my picks when the NFL rolls around. So get over to BetOnline. And when you sign up, Use your first time promo code BELIEVE50. That's B L E A V 50 for a 50% welcome bonus and let the games begin. Guys, this series was absolutely insane. The Mets and Phillies wrapped up their season play. I believe this was the earliest since I thought I heard 1972 that they've wow. been done playing for the season. The Mets winning 14 out of 19 games against the Phillies. So let's look at the numbers from the macro level 14 and 5 against the Phillies. Two of the craziest comeback wins of the season. You can argue two of the maybe three craziest. There was the St. Louis game, of course, when they were scoreless with two outs in the ninth, but absolutely bizarre. A no-hitter, oh, by the way, 9-0 versus Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, two guys who coming into this season had historically owned the Mets. The Mets beat them all nine starts against them this year. And then you look at today, right, on the micro. Mark Kana, his best game is a Met. I don't think you can dispute it. Uh, three scoreless from a guy who was working at the first national bank of Omaha a year ago, Nate Fisher, how you doing? Welcome to the big leagues. It was, it was a perfect game. It was a throwaway game. It looked like it at least at the beginning of the day, and it ended up being arguably the game of the year. So Anthony, we'll start with you, man. I mean, it was a long one. It was a crazy one. What are you thinking now that it's 10 o'clock at night on the East coast? Yeah, look, I think that what the biggest thing that stood out to me from these games were the the guys who maybe don't get the most props stepping up big time, uh, not just in this game, but in the series, but specifically in this game, you can start with Mark, Mark Hanna, obviously. Uh, I think this guy was a great you know, offseason pickup. I was really excited when the Mets got him, and he's done some really good things in a Met uniform, but hasn't put together this kind of a game, certainly. And he had been going through kind of a little bit of a funk. Uh, of late at the plate where it just he wasn't driving balls it didn't seem he was still getting on base and that's kind of his mo when he doesn't do the big things when he's not driving the ball to the ballpark he still gets on base and still puts together great abs still plays defense but obviously when you can hit the kind of home runs he hit today uh it doesn't get any better than that i mean giving the mets the lead late in the game huge home runs um that obviously uh it basically ended up you know being the the determining factor and getting him the win. But uh, I think between him and I thought Jeff McNeil had an unbelievable series, uh, you know, eight for 18, but the defense to me, that's what really stood out. I saw this guy making plays, the diving play with the bases loaded. I think it was in the third game of the series. Um, you know, today's game, I remember in the first game of the series, he picked a, a bad throw from Beatty that almost ended up making a double play out of it. Uh, just, he was just all over the field, but in every game. And then today that huge hit in the ninth inning, the double down the line really to get it going in the ninth again. And, and for the Mets to end up, you know, obviously winning this game, but he just was an absolute spark plug 
uh, everything he did the entire series, but today for sure. And then I think the other thing that stands out, and this is, I don't want to, I don't want to be negative because this is such a great game. But the other thing that stands out is this bullpen. And we've talked about it. We've talked about the weaknesses and, and some of the things that maybe they didn't address uh, at the trade deadline that they could have or should have. And, you know, look, Trevor May isn't the Trevor May that, is, you know, we feel comfortable with yet in the back end of the bullpen, I don't think, at least coming back from the IL stint. And, you know, that shows. And you don't have a ton of options. It's basically Edwin Diaz, and that's about it. Uh, you know, obviously, Drew Smith isn't there right now. Seth Lugo has been kind of spotty, hit or miss. Um, you know, and there's just not a whole lot of options getting the ball from the starter to Diaz. And when you have a rain delay like today and Jose Buto obviously his first start and, you know, only going four innings or actually getting through four innings was actually kind of impressive with the way it started. But, uh, you know, for him to only go four and for them to have to work their way there, a uh, guy like Nate Fisher stepping up is huge. But obviously, I don't I don't think he'll be around for uh, at least the long haul and, and definitely into the playoffs. But it was cool to see him get that opportunity and, and for him to make the most of it. And of course, uh, you know, for guys like that to step up for this Mets team, that's what you need when you're winning ball games and when you want to get, you know, to the promised land, to the World Series eventually. You need those guys not named Pete Alonso, not named Jacob DeGrom, not named Max Scherzer, not named Francisco Lindor. You need those guys to step up and do something. I can remember back in 15, we had a huge series against the Washington Nationals uh, at the beginning of September, and it was Kirk Neuenheis with the huge homer off of <laughs> – I don't know. Everyone's favorite, Jonathan Papelbon. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, almost the believe host, by the way. There you go. There you go. Um, I mean, guys like him, Kevin Pawecki, and others had such big moments, you know, in that run. And that's what I think of. And I, you see guys having those kind of moments for this Mets team. And, and that's what kind of inspires you to think, okay, maybe something big can happen. But that bullpen, it, it's still, it's given me, it's given me some issues. And I don't know how they're going to resolve it, uh, especially with some of the, injuries and lack of depth now that they're finding in the starting rotation hopefully ty comes back soon obviously and feels okay from that back but um it's going to be interesting to see how they work that out but this mets team look taking three out of four from philly after losing three out of four to atlanta i think it was just uh, it shows a lot of their character the way they won today's game the comeback kept coming back kept getting you know going down but coming back and uh there's just something to say about a team that can do that that you just love and is certainly gonna you know play come october yeah, by the way, Kirk Neuenheis, wild name from uh, Blast from the Past right there to bring him up. First Met, I'm pretty sure, to ever hit three home runs in a home game. Correct. And That's then, of course, killed. a week later, didn't Lucas do to do it? It, it took 50 yep. years to do it, and then the <laughs> two of them did it in like a week span. Tyler, hey. I mean, it was a great day, man. Obviously, we were texting all day. I saw the excitement in your messages. What are your biggest takeaways from today's game in the series as a whole? Uh, biggest takeaways, again, is a game where you, of course, have Jose Buto on the bump who gets shelled early because Alec Bohm, who's been a phenomenal hitter for quite a while now for the Phillies this year. It's crazy to see how he went from you know saying, I effing hate this place to, you know, the Phillies fans rejoicing the next day. He's been a phenomenal guy for them. And to not get one, but two three-run shots off of Buto. I mean, I, I've got to give credit to Buto at least a little bit here because after that fourth, he did settle down, show that mental toughness a little bit to eat those innings. And the Mets need it because they haven't had much options. And heading into the series, our biggest concerns, I think, universally was, of course, the bullpen. After grinding out four games against the Braves when you don't have Walker 
or cooking more than two innings apiece. So the Mets were pretty banged up heading into this one to begin with. But as we got to game four here for Buto, again, to eat those innings, still did not, of course, have a good start. We're not going to see him back up in the majors again this year, I'd imagine, or at least I hope nothing personal against him. But he really did show that at least he was able to grind a little bit there. But so was the Mets offense, and that was the biggest thing. I think the fact that they were able to overcome what seemed like endless adversity in this one, right? I mean, they just continued to tack on runs left and right with guys being so productive. And, you know, for me especially, it's the guys that really stood out for the majority of the series and the Martes of the world who went two for five with a double, an RBI, and a stolen bag in this game for Jeff McNeil with two doubles, three for five. Jeff has been one of the most red-hot hitters in all August, and he continued that with not just great play here in game four, but great defense. I mean, he robbed at minimum, what, five hits that the Phillies should have had in this one? And the Mets, more than anything, continuing to take advantage of the lesser opponent defensively in the Phillies. I know Keith was at home smiling with all the defensive issues that was going on in Philly from game one now, especially in game four. I mean, there was multiple plays from the outfield, especially in center or corner, that just were not going the Phillies' way, and the Mets were able to execute. And especially in this game four, to be down originally by a total of four runs, then tie the game up by the time you're already there in what the fourth inning uh right around there and then of course the phillies tack on that other bomb by bohm in the bomb of the fourth and then you have that rain delay this game let's not forget you already had two hours in when we're not even through the fourth inning this was a drag for both teams offensively both teams were gassed with their bullpen as is but then after that that was huge because you saw mark Hanna with that ridiculous bomb to tie this one up and then Trevor May unfortunately gives up that bomb to Segura, who's owned the Mets since he arrived in Philly, to have Canna come out and have his raw reaction, the ridiculous bat flip. I was jumping off my seat. My heart was palpitating per usual. I was going absolutely ballistic. And how can you not be as a Mets fan? It was a phenomenal moment for them, for them to come together to get this win like this. Again, a game where if you look at the pitchers, got, if you would have told me that Jose Buto and Nate Fisher would both be pitching in a game for the Mets where they're combining for seven innings and the Mets still win the ball game, I would have said, I don't know what you're smoking, but it has to be something good. Fisher coming out and having those three squirrels was massive, only giving up that one hit. I'm so proud of this guy again. Regardless of if he gets option, what his future is with the Mets, he made a statement here, and hopefully this helps his career go forward. But just everyone producing from a left and right standpoint, even Alonzo didn't have his best game, really was not looking great with runners in scoring position early, was able to at least get a base knock on an intentional walk. And the Mets left 11 runners on base and still managed to score 10 runs. And that 10th run by Brandon Nemo that we saw, that would end up being the X factors. Edwin Diaz didn't have his best stuff there in the ninth, but still held the ground. And one thing that we can say about Edwin is that for once, you know, he's really locked in when he's pointing up and it's actually not a ball flying out like very Hansel Robles at <laughs> in the park. Twice he did that in the ninth. So those are all my quick takeaways on this game. It was a phenomenal win, a roller coaster, truly one of the most wild ones. But when you score, what, seven runs against the Phillies a couple months ago, the biggest comeback in literally decades for this team, when you have the no-hitter, when you have the Nick Plummer bomb out of nowhere, I mean, all these things cultivating the Mets just dominating the Phillies every single time, 14-5. and five. It was tremendous to see as a fan who lives in PA that, again, is around Phillies fans. I was in game one with my buddy, who, of course, is a Phillies fan on his birthday. We'll get into that shortly. I'm used to being around these fans, so it's really nice to be walking around with my Mets hat and knowing that, yeah, we're without question the top dog right now. It's definitely a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is this Philly team is nothing to scoff at. I mean, this is a great team. If you look at, and I didn't do the subtraction for the numbers, but if you look at their record against the rest of the MLB, it's one of the best winning percentages in the in the entire league, right? This is a really good team, and the Mets have just owned them this year. You know, not every game has been a blowout, but just the way that the Mets hang in every game against Philadelphia. It's been spectacular. You know, it's funny. If you look at every game from this series, I don't think Jeff McNeil – 
was the player of the game in any of the three Mets wins, right? Because Friday night, you could say Alonzo got his 30th home run, got his 100th RBI. You know, Bassett, you could argue, because he was so dominant on the bump. And then, I mean, I give it, even though he only went four innings, I give it to Trevor Williams for game one of the doubleheader, because that was a tough, gutsy spot start. By the way, Trevor Williams, you want to talk about unsung heroes on this team? Yeah. Guy hasn't allowed a run since July 2nd. He got shelled against the uh, Texas Rangers, gave up five earned in that start July 2nd. Since then, eight games, two starts, 24 innings pitched. Hasn't allowed, forget an earned run, hasn't allowed a run, period. He's been incredible, had that great start against Miami at the beginning of a four-game set. Uh, Had that great outing when Ty Walker had the meltdown against Atlanta. Williams came in, kept the Mets in the game. He's been incredible. I give him player of the game. And then today, I mean, there's so many guys you can talk about. Mark Canna, though, the obvious choice. But if you look at player of the series, it's Jeff McNeil. It's Mm -hmm. McNeil, 8 for 18. You know, like you guys said, what, five runs approximately, give or take a couple, saved in the field. Uh, You know, McNeil, it's almost like Daniel Murphy-esque what he did this series. Because I think he's a much better fielder than Murphy, just if if you're looking at that. (laughs) I mean, Rec, I know you're buddies with Murphy. I love Murph, but but (laughs) no, it's definitely Jeff. It's definitely (laughs) McNeil. But one thing that I always noticed about Murphy is that when he was hot at the plate, his fielding was at its best, right? There was definitely a correlation there. And with Jeff, right now, he had his worst month of the year offensively in July. Only month he didn't hit 300, and he didn't even hit 210. He was 208. But in August, he's hitting 425 now. He's playing great defense. I mean, as good a defender as he is, I think this is his best defensive stretch of the year. He's got an 1,100 OPS. Everything Jeff McNeil's done for the three weeks of August so far has been absolutely top-notch. I mean, guys, do you remember in the offseason when people were saying he was going to be traded because he had a down year? I mean, t- Tyler, were you calling? I was for? saying to trade him. I was Both saying to trade him. Really? Was oh, I the yeah. only one not? Because I've always loved McNeil. I've always said he's as important to this team as anyone. Just but it's not. But it wasn't about. It wasn't about his performance. It was never about his performance for me. It was always about the attitude. His just oh. selfish. I made an out. I'm going to throw stuff. I'm going to yell. I'm going to be a little. You can say I, it. <laughs> I just. I just I, that's not a, a type of person I want in my clubhouse, the type of person I want in my dugout. I'm going to get hit with a helmet and I'm going to hurt somebody and it's not going to be good. Um, you know, you're winning by five runs. Guy makes yeah. an out, he's hitting 300 and he's throwing stuff, yelling. That is not the type of, you know, player I want in my clubhouse. It's just just a fact. I mean, that's I remember being in Atlanta and Ender Inciarte, who was a Met this year, was doing that, hitting 300 and throwing stuff. And like get yelling. And at the time we were losing. This was 2016. This was not, you know, good time to be a brave. And nobody liked it. People were pulling him aside, going, dude, you better knock this off. And sure enough, he found his way out of that lineup and found his way out of that organization as a gold glover hitting 300. So that's the kind of thing that can happen to guys like that if they don't change that tune. Well, Jeff has changed it. He looks totally different this year. You see it occasionally. Occasionally he'll, you know, get a little bad or whatever. But for the most part, he is a different Jeff McNeil. And that to me, all look, I'm not going to say all is, you know, forgotten, but all is forgiven. We can move forward with that. That's fine. If you start doing it again, we'll have a problem. But that's why I say, that's why I wanted to get rid of him. It had nothing to do with performance, just to do with the, the attitude, because that can really kill a clubhouse. Tyler. 
Yeah, for me, it was like, you know, as a content creator, one of my jobs is to really discuss any and every report that comes out regarding the team. So the biggest one was that there was a lot of uncertainty on Jeff and his future again, not because of his down offensive year. I mean, we all knew that he was a bounce back candidate, just like most Mets. Let's let's be frank here. Right. But it was, again, the fact that you were seeing reports that there was potential division in the clubhouse, but not only him and Lindor, the famous rat raccoon incident, but potentially with other players in that locker room. So whether that held true or not has yet to be seen. We haven't seen any further reports beyond what came out in the offseason but it was from reliable people that i know that i trust in the organization so it was just a matter of if the mets are going to trade the guy okay it would made sense in a deal that would say get you a controllable starter now that ended up not happening for the mets and you could tell that the mets really did not want to give up jeff for nothing the same way that they probably feel you know to a lesser degree now originally with jd davis and dom it was a different situation with jeff because you knew this is an all-star second baseman that has versatility and a great hitter is a guy that's going to be, again, looking for the batting title year after year as long as he's healthy and is on his game. But you could tell that the Mets were really banking on Buck Showalter, Eric Chavez, and this new coaching staff coming in to get his head right. And there's no denying that that's exactly what happened. So thank goodness that the Mets did not part with Jeff, did not act too rash, too fast with someone like him on having not just a down year, but emotions gained the best of him. And now we're seeing potentially the best Jeff McGill we've ever seen in his young yeah. career. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, it's like McNeil, obviously, when he's trying to hit 20 home runs like he's done before, that's when he loses his swing. But I don't think and, you know, again, I'm born in 98, so I didn't get to watch the Mets in, you know, the 90s when they had great teams with Alfonso and all those guys. But I don't think the Mets have had a gap to gap hitter, uh, uh, an annual batting title contender like McNeil since Keith Hernandez. To me, you know, I, I look at McNeil's swing and it's the closest thing to Keith. That, that I've seen in a Mets uniform since Keith himself. So I thought that, you know, whatever success the Mets were going to have, that I hoped they would have coming into the year, McNeil was going to be a huge part. I didn't want to see him in any other uniform. But, you know, you both make great points, especially with the issues with Lindor. Now, by the way, I mean, you see the two of them, they look like best friends. It's a completely different dynamic. Anthony, how much of that has to do with Buck Showalter, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it certainly has a lot to do with Buck Showalter. I think it certainly has a lot to do with just the energy that he brought to spring training and the way that he, you know, basically took a lot of the onus off of Francisco Lindor, which allowed him to kind of call. He wasn't the rah, rah, get in your face kind of leader that we saw last year when I saw him in Cleveland. I mean, I saw him when he was really young. It was his first full season in 16 after he had come up for a little bit in 15. So, you know, I, I didn't get to see him you know, as a veteran per se, but that wasn't the guy I saw. I saw a very quiet, confident type of a leader who, you know, went about his business and had fun out on the field, which is who I saw playing every day when he was in Cleveland and since he's come over to New York. But you could see last year at times he was pressing. And I think that had, a you know, a lot to do with that dynamic between him and Jeff. Uh, with Jeff also, I know that there was some friction, not even just in the clubhouse, but also with him in the front office about some of the statistics he was being given and, um, you know, the at-bats he was putting together and, things he was looking for at the plate and, uh, you know, the way they wanted him to go about those at-bats and with hitting coaches, everything that was happening last year. So I think it has a lot to do with Buck Walter. It has a lot to do with the guys in the clubhouse, Francisco Lindor and other leaders. You bring in a Max Scherzer. You bring in a Mark Canna, who's a fantastic leader. You bring in other guys who, you know, are able to take a lot of pressure off of, you know, the individuals and kind of, you know, just separate that stuff. And now Jeff can just go out there and play – and yeah, it's certainly, I think a lot of it has to do with Buck and just letting Jeff know. He, I, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what was happening, but I could see Buck pulling him in and going, hey, Jeff, we need you to start acting like a team player and a little bit less like, you know, a player, a Jeff McNeil. 
and start you know contributing to this team that way and i think that has so much more weight attached to it when it comes from someone like buck showalter and that's so important to have uh so yeah you gotta love the fact that jeff is able to digest that and come out this year and play the way he has has been phenomenal yeah i'm thinking that the same exact conversation went down by the way i mean look none of us were there none of us know but you know like you said coming from buck as opposed to coming from a rojas or a callaway <clears throat> It's definitely more of a reality check and a wake-up call. Like, all right, if this is what Buck Showalter's telling me to do, I, you know, it would definitely behoove me and the team to take that advice. What's up, Tyler? I just want to mention, you know, you talk about Buck Showalter and the impact he's on this team. We, I really feel that we need to acknowledge, especially here in game one, to go down briefly, the double steal. I mean, talk about a perfect yes. moment that the Mets were able to make happen. And for the Phillies in the game two in the double header to try the exact same thing, not execute on that was really just showing you the mental, the mentality, the differences, how drastic they are between the two clubs. Just Buck's always trying to stay a step ahead on things. So for that double steal to happen again in the fifth was, I'm, I was jaw dropped. I couldn't believe what I just witnessed because how well it was pulled off because again, it was a short throw to second there that you saw to, I think it was Segura. I'm assuming that he was at second base, but they still couldn't get back the throw again. I was just boggled by the fact that you're going to tell me you're really going to throw to second when you have quite literally one of the fastest guys in baseball, one of the most renowned base stealers at third already halfway down the line. It was just a beautiful call that, of course, Buck had a hand in. And that just you looked at the Mets overall in game one. As I mentioned, I was in attendance and I took a buddy of mine. It was his birthday. My birthday is also August 30th. So it's kind of like a combined birthday, more of a gift for me than it was for him with the Mets winning seven to two. But Chris Bassett, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that, Joe. We always emphasize the mental toughness, and Chris Bassett comes <laughs> out and he goes six strong. So I want to hear a little bit more of a deep dive on his game from your point of view, especially. But Pete Alonzo, he was a story of the game, right? I was really dying to see Pete break out after a Braves series where he looked pretty lackluster for the most part. I want to see especially Alonzo in a batter's box in which he's quite literally one of the best hitters against the Phillies in Philly since a guy like David Wright. I mean, he's very David Wright 2.0s, especially in Philly. If you look at the numbers, they will tell you that. And then he right away gets himself that RBI single down the line. That went ahead with some bad defense because they couldn't pull the double play. One of multiple bad defensive plays that the Phillies had. And, and Matt Verling and left just had a brutal day. I mean, the guy was all over the place. Cannot handle the ball. And then Alonzo to eventually get that towering home run to pass 100 RBIs on the year to get his 30th bomb of the year to lead the league in RBIs. It was just a magical moment. And not only him, but Marte's. Marte was, again, in the mix of everything this entire series. He went two for five with two doubles and two runs scored. Lindor won three for five. He looked just absolutely strong. And, of course, the guy that for not just you, Joe, but especially for you, Rec, because you weren't here uh, last episode, I want to hear your thoughts on Brett Beatty as the development or lack thereof thus far, because while he didn't do much the past couple of days, he definitely stepped up to the plate big time there with that two RBI single late to increase the Mets lead in game one. So, Joe, starting with you, what, what's your opinion on Chris Bassett? Again, he's a guy that you weren't too happy with for a while, and it seems like things have really come full circle. Yeah, I was definitely starting to doubt him for a little bit. You know, mid-June, he had that bad West Coast road trip. And, uh, you know, I think after looking at his last 11 starts compared to his first 12, I think they took an x-ray of Bassett. And uh, he's got that dog in him. He's got that dog in him. He's got that pit bull <laughs> mentality every time he's out there. And this is not a small sample size anymore. It's 11 straight starts we're talking about. If you look at his first 12 compared to his last 11, in his last 11 starts, 7-3, and three, a 2.1 ERA. He's been as good as anyone in baseball since the middle of June. I mean, four home runs allowed in those last 11 starts. If you recall, not too long ago, Bassett was giving up a ton of long balls. First 12 starts, 11 yep. home runs. 
last 11 starts, four home runs. And if you look at his ground ball rate, that has shifted completely. He was getting 20% more fly balls than the average pitcher, first 12 starts. His last 11 starts, 20% more ground balls than the average pitcher. So I don't know what he's done. I don't know if he's just thrown more sinkers. I know, Rec, weren't you looking at baseball savant uh, before we started recording? Yep. And you said yep. his sinker was his most used pitch, right? In, that, in his uh, last Friday. start, in that start, it was his yeah. most used pitch by far, by far. Uh, I think it was 38%, I want to say it was. So, um, so clearly making a point of using the sinker, trying to get some ground balls. Yeah, and it's working. It's working, man. I mean, you know, look, earlier in the year when we were speculating about the Mets going out and being in the starting pitching market and Castillo and Montas, you know, one thing that I was looking at for those guys was ground ball rates, K rates, and, you know, Bassett, who was really struggling with the long uh, the long ball earlier this year, he's almost eliminated that entirely for, you know, the last half of the season to date, his last 11 starts. And uh, he's been, you know, just as reliable at this point as Max, as Jake. When Bassett's turn rolls around, He's been incredible, and we talked about it, Tyler, you and I, on the last episode, that that game was the most important game of the series because you were setting the tone, right? It was our best pitcher Bingo. against their best pitcher. And after Bassett, I mean, look at the guys we ran out there. No disrespect to any of them, but Trevor Williams, David Peterson, and Jose Buto, you know, not exactly names that are going to move the needle. So it was, you know, the, the thought process there was, hey, even though we're going against their best pitcher who threw a complete game, allowed one run, I don't care win or lose, he owned us his last time out there. This is our best chance. This is our best pitcher. We've got to go out there and get the job done. We did. And that just set the tone for the entire series. If the Mets drop that game, who knows what happens to follow. But Bassett, I mean, real leader in a series where Max and Jake both didn't pitch. 100%. Now, uh, Rec, I want to hear your thoughts on Brett Beatty. You know, like I said, we you didn't get a chance to talk to us yet. So what's your raw reaction from his debut against the Braves to now? Big first game against the Phillies, but looked pretty lost at the plate to, to a certain degree these past couple games, games two, three, and four. And defensively, obviously something that still needs to be had, something that he needs to work on. Had, it, had an error, of course, in the Mets' loss in game three in this one. So just give me your overall takes on Brett Beatty and what he has meant to the Mets thus far. I thought he's looked great, to be honest with you. Look, it's tough to come up to the big leagues, especially as a huge prospect with all the expectations that come with that in New York. I mean, I've seen guys come up and just really struggle with that mentally, um, you know, out there on the field, just physically they don't perform well. Mentally, I can see him thinking, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, I thought he's done a great job, to be honest with you. He came up, he had some success early at the plate, which is great, but he has this confidence about him that I can see in him when he's at the plate. Um, he puts together really good at bats. He's not just, you know, flailing at everything. Now, you know, look, things didn't go quite his way uh, towards the end of the series, but I think that's to be expected. You're going to have adjustments, adjustment period when you get to the big leagues. Guys are going to see your swing. They're going to see what you like to do, some tendencies, and it can happen pretty quickly. They're going to get those reports on the minor leagues. They're going to make adjustments to those. They're going to attack you a different way, see how you react. And yeah, it's look, it's not easy for Brett Beatty to come up and have a ton of success early. The air, that was a, you know, look, Schwarber was kind of cutting in front of him there, or maybe it was right behind him. But, uh, you know, he just took his eye. He tried to make a quick play. He tried to be a little bit too quick on the transfer. Ball popped out. Things like that happen. You know, I just don't want to see him. I don't want to see that compound into more mistakes. So we'll see over the next couple series if that's something that continues and gets worse, then you have a problem. But if he goes out there makes a couple plays tomorrow, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday, and, you know, looks like the guy that we expect 
uh, you know, that we expected him to be, then yeah, I have no problem with it. Things are going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. This is baseball. It's a really tough game. Uh, but I've, I've been impressed with him so far. And I have, uh, you know, I would say my expectations for him were pretty high to begin with. They've actually kind of increased because I just really enjoyed the way he's gone out there, his mental side, what he's shown me out there, his confidence. That means so much when you're out there on the field. See, what I'm, I'm, I'm okay, sorry, Joe. No, I just ahead. want to add this and I want you to add to this as well, Joe, because I'm, I'm very happy to hear your response here, Rick, because, you know, especially after going over his last 12, again, it's a very small sample size, but you know how Mets fans are. They're very reactionary and what has transpired over the past 24 to 48 hours. So everyone <laughs> believe there's a large contingency of fans already. They're on the notion that, all right, Beatty doesn't have it. He isn't ready for the bigs. We should bring up Vientos when in reality, Vientos is not a guy that's going to help you any no. better at the hot corner. No. He's going to be more of a defensive issue. So I'm just curious again on what fans should really realize when it comes to a guy that, again, maybe isn't he isn't hitting for contact every single time. He's not getting contact on base. But for me, at least, especially Beatty through his first three, four games with the Mets up until the past two, is that he was constantly putting the ball in play. He wasn't striking out at a high rate. Again, we saw that a little bit more today at the time recording this in the Mets 10-9 victory, but I think to his just his bat-to-ball skills to be able to hit against both righties and lefties competently, and you can hear the crack off his bat. He seems like something special. We've raved about him in our previous episode. I feel I will continue going forward, and for me personally, it feels like that this is a job for him to lose. Once Escobar is back at the end of the week, there's a good chance he'll be platooning, but I don't think that Beatty is going to be sent down very soon. I think he's going to be here to stay for a while, if not for the remainder of the season, then definitely for quite a bit, especially as the Mets will eventually face lesser opponents as we get into the month of September. So, uh, Joe, starting with you, what is kind of your take on everything going on with, you know, the fan perspective uh, per, uh, perspective of Beatty right now versus, you know, Rex comments, and then going back to you, Rex, to just add on a little bit more on the Beatty front? Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, to – really just agree with Rec. I think my expectations for him have gotten even higher as well. Now, it's funny because, Tyler, I was ready for you to pose the same question that I was going to ask when we both kind of chimed in at the same okay. time. I'm curious what happens with Beatty as the season progresses, right? Because right now, when I look at him, I'm thinking of 2015 Michael Conforto. Obviously, the last time the Mets made the World Series, it's, my I know boy. it's yeah, August, but that's obviously the goal here. We've, we've seen enough. We're thinking that. Uh, you know, Conforto was a, a mid-season call-up who ended up being, staying on the team, being on the team throughout the, play, uh, the playoffs, had some big games in the playoffs. I think he had a couple homers off Kershaw in the NLDS. I mean, you know, Not so I'm looking, at, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at Beatty and I'm like, I think he can make the same impact. The question that I was going to pose is realistically, when you look at the construction of the roster, will there be room for him? Because the Mets have kind of, you know, tied their hands with the Vogelback rough platoon DH. They don't have a lot of defensive versatility. And a guy like Guillaume is extremely important when he comes back to have on the roster, right? He's not going anywhere. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking in a perfect world, you know, come postseason, you've got Beatty as your starting third baseman most nights and Guillaume there is the defensive guy, the flex guy. But realistically, is Escobar, if he's healthy, going to be left off the roster? So that's what I'm thinking. I mean, right now, I want to see Beatty at third base every day. I just don't know. You know, even when Escobar comes back, he'll still be at third, I think. But when Guillaume comes back, I feel like Beatty's the odd man out. I mean, Rec, what do you think from, you know, from an internal perspective, from a Mets perspective, how do you think the team is going to handle that? Do you think Beatty has a spot on the playoff roster? I think he could, and I think he should. I think it's going to depend on obviously how he plays. I, I would be surprised if the Mets uh, reacted quickly and sent him back down 
whether it's when Escobar comes back, Yorme comes back, whatever. Um, but these things in baseball have a way of working themselves out. I, I think people get caught up in well, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Someone might go down tomorrow to, you know, like, and, and then it's, oh, go, well, we don't have to worry about it now. That's just how baseball ends up working. I, I remember spring, every spring training, there's always position battles and who's going to make the roster. And it always works out that oh, there's too many guys. There's too many guys. No, somebody goes down, this happens, this happens. And then all of a sudden you have your roster and you, you know, you didn't even have to think about it. You can't I have feel like guys. that's how, this, yeah, like, well, exactly. And this is a good problem to have when you, when you start saying, well, who's going to make the roster? Who, who's that's okay. That's okay. That's a great decision to have to make. Um, you know, the roster does expand by two in September. So that's coming up pretty quickly. They're not going to have to do it then. I think Betty, Beatty can certainly um, stay up and play a lot in September because I don't think the Mets are going to be playing, uh, you know, a whole lot of meaningful games, especially late in September. I think they're going to wrap this thing up uh, earlier than people think, just because the Brave schedule is much more difficult uh, once we get into September than the Mets is. So I just, I just really think they're going to give him an opportunity to shine. And like you said, I love the idea of having a young guy in that lineup that the, uh, the rest of the league doesn't know a lot about, and he can have a spark and, and do some things that you just haven't seen all year. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, look, nothing against Escobar. He just hasn't been very good this year. He really hasn't. He really hasn't, especially of late. Um, so to me, I, I think you lose nothing by having Beatty in there. And Gourmet's around for defensive versatility. And then you got to remember one other thing, and we talked about this a little bit uh, off air, I think. Tyler Naquin has struggled. He's struggled a little bit of late. We saw that. Um, this guy can get super hot and he gets super cold. That's just the hitter he is. And I love Tyler. I told you guys that before. Um, but if you get to playoff time and you really have a roster crunch, you don't necessarily need him as your fourth outfielder when you've got yeah. three already that you're probably going to start most days. And Jeff McNeil can play out there if you want. Darren Ruff can go out there. Not that you want him out there. There's different ways that you can attack it. So he doesn't necessarily – there's different ways you can maneuver the roster. It's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. And you can have an extra infielder when it comes that time of year. Tyler, you look like you were, like, dying to say something. Were you yeah, I'm to... always dying to say something. Yeah, I, when, like, when you get yeah. the pen like that, that's, that's when yeah, I lay the, low. When the pen's just... up, you know I have something to say. <laughs> but, yeah, to, to conclude the uh, the Beatty discussion, I, I agree. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do down the stretch come playoff time. But, you know, I think as we get into September, especially when the Mets only have, you know, one of the easiest schedules in baseball aside from the Brewers and the Braves that they match up with, that's a time where you can really, you know, give the keys to Beatty and see how much production he can give you, especially, and hope that that transitions again in bigger matchups down the stretch. But you could have a situation where, again, you have Beatty and Escobar both platooning at third. You can have a situation where Guillaume, who I do think is going to get a lot of playing time, Buck has favored him all year long, and you can't deny it. I mean, even if Guillaume isn't giving you maybe the same offensive production on a nightly basis that a red-hot Beatty has potential to give you, he makes up for it with his glove and then some. I mean, he's easily the best defender in this infield, which is saying a lot when you have Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil playing the way that they have all year long. But you can have Guillaume at second. They can even throw McNeil and left if they really want to based on matchups if, say, Canada gets a little bit of cold streak. Again, Buck, he has an embarrassment of riches here right now to really just favor the hot hand. So the big question for me is down the stretch game close to playoff time, who's going to be hot and who's going to be not? Because I'd imagine that that is going to have certainly a factor to an extent and how they really maneuver and figure out this roster. But aside from that, I did just want to kind of conclude things on, you know, this Phillies-Mets matchup because we saw in the doubleheader, the Mets, of course, won one. They lost one. Lost one, I don't think we need to harp on much. Of course, the one time where the Mets were not facing a normal starter in the rotation for the Phillies, they just simply couldn't hit. that. They faltered to falter. Let's be frank here. They lost 4-1. to one. But in the game that they did win, 
which was eight to two against the Phillies against Wheeler. You know, they were tacking on a lot on Wheeler. We saw that Williams went four strong. The bullpen this entire series, I think, deserves more credit than what it's been given as well. I mean, even though we had Buto there and, and the latest start, I mean, you got you saw guys, Jolie Rodriguez pitched roughly three squirrels in this one. Lugo struck out the side after Williams, even though that, yes, he gave up that RBI sack fly. But, I mean, many guys for the bullpen actually step up. Adam Adovino had two squirrels as well. But between Lindor being strong with an RBI triple, McNeil going three for five, with two RBIs, Nimmo two for four with the two doubles and the RBI, Marte having three hits and an RBI because, of course, he does. I mean, the offense was there, but especially when you look at from a whole, Zach Wheeler once again got tacked on by the Mets, and he had some choice words, did his best Spencer Strider impression. So going back to you, Rec, as someone that loves Zach Wheeler, being a former teammate of his, what's your take and impression on that? Do you think it just is as simple as raw motion? Because for me, again, as a fan, it just it's hilarious to me personally to see this continued trend no matter who. Who the Mets face, I, you you would imagine that Zach of all people would know better by now than maybe make those remarks. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. So what did he say? Oh, he 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 just he called he he I said that the Mets, I had to get on my pain, uh, in the, yeah, he said that the Mets oh, had cheap wow. hit. He literally people. pulled a Strider. Like it was as wow. simple as that. He was Ooh, frustrated. I, I love that ammo coming from the Braves and the Phillies. That's amazing. Exactly, and I and I love and I love Zach to death. I, I again, he's a guy that I wish was still on the Mets again. Unfortunately, Steve Cohen didn't buy the team a year earlier. But going back to your wreck. Again, as a former teammate, someone that knows him well, what's your initial like raw reaction to that? And to see him again in another start, labor quite a bit against a Mets team that is just simply relentless. I think it's very typical in a baseball locker room when you get beat and you get beat in that way where you know balls aren't flying off the bat. You're not giving up a ton of home runs. That's that's just typical lingo inside a clubhouse. And now you've got reporters back in the clubhouses and you've got more access probably than ever. You're going to hear more of that stuff. And that's realistically all it comes down to, to for me. This isn't to me. This isn't ammo. This isn't bulletin board material. This is just I mean, Strider said it with a different, you know, hint or twinge behind his, you know, in, in his voice. So that was a little bit different. But with Wheeler, I thought it was look, sometimes you get beat. Sometimes you get beat in a way that you feel like, you know, you wish you gave up three bombs instead of a couple of ground balls and a Great blooper point. or whatever. Um, you know, and just that's how it is. You, you just get frustrated. It's a frustration thing. And to me, that's just typical baseball lingo when that kind of stuff happens. I don't take anything more from it. Um, like you said, I love Zach. Uh, I, I wish him the best, you know, outside of obviously playing against the Mets. But, um, you know, it, it's just that's just baseball. It's And I think he said that and he said that exact thing in the interview. It's baseball. Sometimes that happens. The Mets, they've been known to do that because they put the ball in play, and that's part of their offense, and that's a good thing. I remember playing certain teams and just thinking to myself, God, I just want to get these guys out of here. Like, you know, they're putting together eight-pitch ABs, and they're just blooping in hits, and they're just, you know, finding holes. And You know, look, it's tough. That's part of baseball, and that's some teams are really good at that, and the Mets right now are really good at that. It What's going to work come playoff time? We have no idea. Maybe the Braves get hot and they're hitting home runs. Maybe the Phillies get hot and they're hitting home runs. Maybe the Dodgers are hitting home runs. Maybe they're blooping balls in. Who knows? But realistically, right now, this Mets team has consistently put the ball in play, and that's never a bad thing. It's the 2014-2015 Royals, man. I mean, you know, it wasn't fun baseball. It wasn't sexy baseball, but it got them two pennants. It got them a world championship. And uh, I know, Tyler, I know, I know you're holding a lot in with me mentioning the Royals. I know, I know you want to scream cheaters at the top of your lungs, but uh, you know, it, it's that kind of baseball, man. Sometimes, you know, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but it really pays off. And this Mets team, by the way, has plenty of pop. I mean, I think this Mets team has way more pop than those Royals teams with Alonzo, with Lindor, 
you know, guys, anyone can get hot too. <clears throat> guys like Marte, Nimmo, Escobar went through even, you know, as bad a year as he's had. He went through that streak where he was hitting bombs you know, for a week or two in a row. So this team has more pop. But yeah, Rec, like you said, just the ability to put the ball in play. It's going to frustrate guys like Wheeler, who got shelled not once, but twice in a week against the Mets. And Strider, of course, who, you know, wanted to talk about Babip and all that crap in his postgame uh, press conference. Look, let's move on to the Subway Series. But wrapping it up, biggest takeaway from this Philly series, just, you know, on the macro level as a whole. Rec, you first, and then we'll go to Tyler. Yeah, I think this one, I'm going to go really broad here, and I'm gonna just going to talk about the NL in general. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, look, uh, the Mets ended up losing game three to the Phillies. They very easily could have lost game four. All credit to them. They battled back. They won the game. But this NL is going to be no joke. And the one thing I will say, Mets fans, you might not like to hear this. So if you don't, you know, it's, well, maybe you want to turn me down. I'm already pissed, Go ahead. <laughs> look, when uh, when you're talking about this Mets team, and I hear people say it all the time, it's World Series or bust, or, you know, champs or bust. I just want people to know that what this team is doing and what they are capable of doing, even if they don't get to the top of the mountain. And I'm saying this before November because I want to say it now because I don't want it to get to that point and be the the 10 millionth person you hear say, well, it's okay. They had a good season because it does. It just rings hollow at that point, but they are having a really good year and this is a really good team and they're building something special in this organization and but this NL is going to be really, really tough if the Phillies are capable of, you know, really playing a game like this and in a series where they dropped the first two and it looked like it was almost non-competitive. I mean, the Mets looked they were dominating those first two games. And then, of course, the Phillies come back, win game three, and it looked like they should have won game four. Uh, that's the kind of, you know, league this this NL, this National League is this year. You got the Dodgers, potentially the Padres. They haven't figured it out since their trades. The Cardinals are hot. The Brewers mm-hmm. pitching can always get hot. The Braves are the Braves. They're the nat- they're the ex-champs, and they have been hot for a while. They just took three out of four from us. All I'm saying is this is going to be a really fun National League. And, yes, the Mets could still come out on top. They're definitely one of the favorites. But if they don't, don't hate this team. This is a very good team, and what this organization has done, they've done a very good job to get here, and they have an opportunity for s- sustained success. Anthony Recker, future politician. Tyler, <laughs> what was your biggest takeaway from the four-game set? Um, biggest takeaway is as simple as the Mets took care of business. I, I, I really felt that the Mets split this series that it would be slightly disheartening just given the current you know direction, the matchups that they have going forward. And again, even with Buto on the mound, it just felt like a game that I was really hoping to see the Mets come out with the offense, and they did to even a higher magnitude than I initially expected. But more than that, it's the fact of, you know, as we mentioned, 9-0 against Wheeler and Nola this year in those nine starts. That's important because this is a Mets team that, as I emphasized in our previous episode, Joe, they haven't been necessarily phenomenal against some of the more superior pitching in baseball. And don't get me wrong. These pitchers are great for a reason. There's a reason why they have great numbers. So even the better teams are going to look a little silly against them. But I mentioned, you know, the matchups in the past with the Padres, with the Dodgers, and, you know, in parts with the Braves. It, it was really important for me to see the Mets come out here against Nola and Wheeler and make a statement. And that's exactly what they did. So that I would say that's my biggest takeaway as they now head into this big matchup, an exciting one, round two of the Subway Series. Yeah, and before we get into it, my biggest takeaway, Tyler, real quick, is actually that I, I disagree with a good chunk of what you just said. Really? I would have been I would have been totally fine with a split going into this series. Now, that tune changed after we took the first two, but going into this series, and this is another thing we spoke about off-air before we started recording, 
the Mets' best chance to win, the game that, you know, if you look at the, the lines, the odds, Vegas, the game that they were the biggest favorites in was the game David Peterson pitched, game two of the doubleheader. That was their best chance to win, not because Peterson was their best pitcher that they were running out there like Bassett was, but because it was the best matchup for the Mets, Peterson versus Falter. You know, Bassett had to go up against the Phillies' ace in NOLA. And then, of course, you had Trevor Williams making a spot start against Wheeler, another ace. So, you know, given the matchups, if you had told me going into this series with the Mets' depleted bullpen and, you know, having Carrasco and Walker not even make it out of the second inning against the Braves and the bullpen, just the overuse that they've experienced, I would have been okay with a split. So that's why my takeaway is that the Mets went into their biggest series of the year, their most challenging series of the year, and they won three out of four. There's nothing this team can't handle because their pitching staff was diminished. You know, they didn't have Max or Jake. And that's why I call this their most difficult series of the year, not their series with Atlanta, one of their two long sets with Atlanta over the last two weeks, because they had Max and Jake for both of those series with the Braves. They had Max and Jake for the Phillies last weekend. This series, they didn't. They had, you know, three guys who are not mainstays in their rotation. Anthony, you spoke about it earlier, how, you know, we were saying you can never have too much, too many guys, right? Well, earlier in the year, the Mets had seven to eight competent starters, right? You had Mm -hmm. McGill, of course, who was out of this world in April. You know, Peterson was the next man up and Williams was like the eighth option. Well, you had to use options seven, eight, and then 10 or 11 in this series with Budo. And it's like, you know, how the mighty have fallen. The Mets, Carrasco was on another planet. Walker was, you know, for a good chunk of the year because of his ability to stay on the field, our best pitcher. And both of those guys scratched from this Philly series. The Mets just battled through adversity like they've been doing seemingly all year long. And uh, I think that this was their most challenging series of the year. I think it was their best series win of the year. That was just, to me, absolutely wild going there, taking three out of four. But they don't have any time off. They don't have any time to celebrate. Jumping right into the Subway Series. Look, if you're listening, if you're watching, it's Monday already. The game is a few hours away. and we've Weather got permitting. Reason. Weather permitting, Joe. Weather That's permitting. <laughs> yeah. Yes, weather permitting. I've... Weather permitting, I've had to say that too many times the past. I week. know it's so annoying. Atlanta <laughs> should have to be on the road the whole month of August. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's you pretty much it? all season, guys. It's pretty much all season. It doesn't really slow down there. When I remember when I was there and they were building the new stadium, I was like, "Are they putting a roof on it?" No, of yeah. course they're not. Why would Why would they don't do get that? ahead of yourself, right? <laughs> it's insane. I mean, look, you know, and I'm not going to talk too much about the Braves, and I'm not going to question Buck because of all the great moves he's made all year long. But, you know, Cookie going back out there, was that the right move? I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But it's just, you know, whether a guy gets hurt or not, it's never good for a pitcher to have to pitch in Atlanta because to have to deal with a delay like that, it's just, it's the worst. But weather permitting, we've got Max Scherzer against Domingo Herman for the second time this season. If you'll need a reminder of what happened last time, Max went seven strong, seven scoreless, only six Ks, but three of them against Big Bad Aaron Judge, who went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts against Max, Sliders. 0 for 5. Sliders. We talked about Sliders. it, man. We talked it was about it. His video game, just pumping it down. Away. Exactly what you'd expect him to do, and he did exactly And, and Judge, you know, Rec, you brought this point up. At the time, I don't know where he is now, but going into the last Subway Series, led the MLB in slugging percentage against fastball and against sliders and curveballs. Uh, Scherzer, he got him with that slider because he put it exactly where he wanted to every single time, low and away against the 6-7 badass. And it just, you know, Scherzer won every battle. Herman has not pitched poorly. He's got an ERA of three this month. Still struggles to go deep into games, though. He's only given them more than five innings once in his six starts this year. I think that's where the Mets have the advantage. 
outside of the obvious advantage in this one of having Max Scherzer going up against him. But, you know, they've been really good all year, best team in baseball at getting into bullpens early on in games. I think, you know, that's the game plan, obviously, in this one. What are you guys looking for in tonight's game if, you know, it happens? Hopefully it does. Yeah, I think for me it's all about Max Scherzer and him him potentially dominating this Yankees lineup. This Yankees team is not playing good baseball right now. Offensively, they're not scoring runs. They were able to win their last of the four-game set against the Blue Jays, but they looked bad that whole series. Uh, defensively, they don't look like the same team. Pitching, their starting pitching hasn't been great. Their bullpen hasn't been great. It's been shaky. Chapman's last outing, whoa. Or maybe it wasn't even his last outing. I know it was Friday night. I'm sorry. I don't even know if it was his last outing, but he looked awful, lost it. They had to pull him out of there. Um, this team is in disarray right now. So for me, it's about I, – I think these Mets should come in and just like they did the – they should dominate these two games. They really should. Um, I'm hoping – that, you know, Scherzer goes out there, I think he'll shove. Uh, and Domingo Herman, like you said, look, even if he pitches well, he's not going to go deep in the games. It's nothing. He's He just has never done that. He's just the type of guy who throws a lot of pitches. That changeup is kind of a big weapon for him. And when your changeup is your big weapon, and it's kind of a contact pitch anyway, it's tough for you to really miss a lot of bats and, and you know, get a lot of swing and miss and get guys out of there quickly. So he just ends up running counts up and, and has a problem with that. So I look for them to get in the bullpen. And then for game two, I hope, I hope, Jacob DeGrom starts game two because, my goodness, is that going to be fun to watch him against this Yankees lineup the way they've been swinging the bats right now. Uh, it should be a, another great, you know, favorable matchup for, for the Mets, and, and I really look for them to, to come in and, and honestly really dominate this Yankees. It's a great time to play this Yankees team. <laughs> I'm, I am – I, I've, I was a Met, so obviously I'm not a Yankee fan. But even as a kid, I was a Yankee hater. And so I, I enjoy these moments when you get them like this and you can just yes. really <laughs> just put it on them. I'm really hoping the Mets come in and just absolutely destroy them. You know, we've had a saying in my household for as long as I can remember, since I was a little kid. And I mean, this might be a little bit of a morbid sense of humor, but my dad always said in our household, first we hate Bin Laden, then we hate the Yankees. And for the better part, you know, for the last decade, it's really just been the Yankees. So, you know, a Yankee loss, it's just as good as a Mets win in my book. And they're 4-12 and 12 in their last 16, losing records since the end of June. For the last two months, Mets now four games ahead of them. Obviously, they're not competing in any standings unless they were to face each other in a World Series. But the Mets four games better than the Yankees. I remember even when the Mets were in first place, Yankee fans bragging about being 10 games better than the Mets and how the mighty have fallen. Tyler, game one, what's the biggest thing you're looking for? Uh, biggest thing I'm looking for is hopefully a win biasly. I mean, I was there in, in attendance back in July when Scherzer shoved against Judge behind home playing like four or 500s. It was electric crowd, had so much fun, and Marte to get the walk off. I should be in attendance for this game. Hopefully, again, weather permitting, taking my brother as a late birthday gift. So the same way that I took my buddy for the Philly game, now I'm taking my brother for the Mets game. We've never been to Yankee Stadium before. It's going to be electric, like same seats as safe field to right behind home plate all the way up. Um, so it's going to be exciting. But yeah, my biggest thing is I'm looking for Max to do the exact same thing he did in round one against the Yanks. It's as simple as that. I really hope that he can give really depth to hopefully help out with the bullpen a little bit right now. Give them that six, seven strong would be most ideal. I fully expect that from Max. He has been 
one of, if not easily, one of the most shut down pitchers in all baseball, especially in the NL. I mean, to see him come out from his oblique injury and even be better. I mean, he's just, there's a reason why he's a bona fide feature Hall of Fame with ease. But I'm looking at the Mets here against the Yankees team where the first time they matched up, the Yanks were the best team in baseball. And now the Mets are ahead of them in the standings. The Yanks have lost six straight series. I wanted to see them take advantage of a Yankees team that, as both of you have alluded to, are in complete disarray right now. I mean, we're at the point with the Yanks where if they continue to free fall, the Mets really give them a stomping, which we hope to see as fans biasly, that we may even see some changes when it comes to either, you know, management right now, more moves on the roster. I mean, they are just in complete disarray because of the injuries that they endured. They're going to be getting Giancarlo back sooner than later, but still bullpen wise, they're hurting. Clay Holmes is the latest uh, victim of that. So I want to see the Mets really jump on Domingo Herman, especially in game one. They scored a couple runs on uh, in 4.2 against him. He got seven strikeouts on the Mets. I think that they're going to be even better this time around and choke up on the bat some more and just really be known for being that Mets team that's gained those, those bloops and those blasts quite a bit. And same thing with game two. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts because there's some belief that Tywin Walker may pitch in game two because he did not pitch, of course, this past Sunday against the Phillies. But how do you not pitch Jacob DeGrom in this situation, right? He hasn't faced the Yankees since 2018. Yes, his numbers against the Yanks aren't the best. You know, he's two and four with a three and a half year array. But, I mean, he hasn't faced the Yanks being this type of Jacob DeGrom right now either. And back then, that was when he was his Cy Young self, still pitching well. So for DeGrom against, you know, a Montas, which is going to be exciting to discuss a little bit further, Frankie, he's 0-1 with a nine-year reign, three starts against uh, with the Yanks. Has done better at home, but overall has just not looked good. And you can tell that this is a Montas that's still getting adjusted to being in a Yankee uniform. A guy that was far better at home in Oakland than he was on the way away this season. So, yeah, I'm very excited for this series. This is a series where you can have Max and Jake back-to-back sign me up for the Mets to do everything they possibly can to get these two Ws and hopefully a complete season sweep against these Yanks. Yeah, and the biggest thing you know I'm looking for in this one with Max, first of all, is that in the Yankees game, you know, at City Field, he had six strikeouts. You know, obviously we talked about how he owned Judge, struck him out three times, but gave up a lot of fly balls, a lot of fly ball outs. That's going to have to change in this one. Otherwise, he's not going to go seven scoreless. One or two of those fly ball outs at Yankee Stadium is going to find their way out. So I'm going to look for Scherzer. He's gotten, you know, after a couple starts where he wasn't striking as many guys out, he's gotten back on the K train against the Phillies last Friday night. You know, an outing where he really didn't have his best stuff. He really toughed it out. And, you know, it was a gutsy seven-inning performance out of him. And then I thought he looked really good against the Braves. Obviously, up until that seventh inning where he couldn't make it out. You know, don't forget, when he left that game through six and a third innings, he had only allowed one run to cross. Adovino allowed all those inherited runners. And that's why Scherzer threw his not uh, his first <coughs> non-quality start since returning from the IL back in early July. I mean, the guy's been a quality start machine 13 and 17 starts this year. And... You know, that Braves game, you can say what you want. That actually is the first time all year I've really had questions for Buck because even though Scherzer was struggling with his command, I still trust him more than anyone in that bullpen not named Edwin Diaz. So he's been great and, you know, struck out, I think, eight Braves and six and a third in that one. He's going to have to have that uh, that strikeout formula with him uh, at Yankee Stadium in order to turn out the same performance he did at City Field. Now, Mark Canna, he's the other big guy I'm looking for in this one. He's faced Domingo Herman more than any other Met on this team. Seven for 11 with a bomb. Actually, a lot of bombs on the Mets. Alonzo, McNeil, Naquin, they've all taken Herman deep. But when you look at Canna, you know, obviously the, the goal was have Naquin, you know, play about 50% of the games against righties, have Canna play against lefties all the time, and then about half the games against righties. 
Canada's hitting 305 against righties this year. Just 226 against lefties. Crazy reverse splits. You know, he's a guy who he's got three home runs in the last five days. Keep riding the hot hand. There's no doubt he's going to be in the lineup for this one. But I'm looking to see if he stays hot. Obviously, today was his best game as a Met. And a huge confidence booster going into, you know, a great ballpark to hit in and always an electric, fun atmosphere. Let's get to game two, guys. Tyler, you mentioned Jake, pretty pedestrian against the Yankees. Two and four, three and a half ERA. But in his two starts against the Yankees in 2018, the first time or the only two times, rather, that Cy Young Jake faced the Yankees, he was one and one. But in those nearly 15 innings pitched, they were both great starts. He allowed two earned in each. I believe six and two-thirds in one start, eight innings in the other. Might have been seven. But nearly 15 innings, four earned. Jake was great against the Yankees in 2018 in those two starts. Jake has been great, right? I know he's allowed a couple runs here and there. The two-run homer to Swanson that broke up the no-hitter. You know, two two-strike mistakes against Atlanta in his last start where he was otherwise flawless. Went, da- went on to set down 12 in a row. After that, Jake looks like Jake, right? 14.3 Ks per nine, the exact same number he had last year before the injury in the first two months. It's ridiculous. And he's going up against Frankie Montas, who can't pitch anywhere but the Oco Coliseum. Rec, I mean, (laughs) you know, are are you worried about Jake in this matchup at all? You worried about him because he struggled in the past at Yankee Stadium or completely different Jake? No, I'm not worried about it at all. And whether it's a a different Jake or Jake or not, he's always been great. Having a three five anywhere is not bad. It's fine. It's just not. Jake, I, I think so. it's just the fact that when you have a starter that's had only one or less runs in half of his starts, we're so spoiled. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's crazy what this guy does when he's on the mound and what he's capable of. Um, I think really it comes down to Montas and the fact that he has looked awful in pinstripes. Uh, that splitty just hasn't worked for him. And look, everybody knows it. He's a fastball splitty slider guy. And that splitty isn't right. This guy, he doesn't, he really isn't overpowering. He's not going to, you know, he did touch 95, 96, blow a 97 every once in a while. But realistically, his his biggest game is that splitty. Um, and he'll throw some sliders when he needs to, maybe early in the count or, or you know, to kind of get back in a count if he needs to, if he falls behind. But otherwise, it's mostly fastball split. And if you're seeing it up on him and, and you're seeing it good, he's, he's going to have a tough day. And in Yankee Stadium, if you're not getting ground balls and you're not striking people out, you're giving up runs like you alluded to because that place is it's a tough place to pitch. And he has had a hard time with it, whether it's been there or anywhere outside of Oakland, like you said. So uh, for me, I, I think that Jake's going to dominate. And I, I don't it's funny. I, I don't want to just give write these two games off. But to me, if the Mets don't win both these games, I will honestly be very surprised and a little bit disappointed wow. because it really should. Yeah, me too. I mean, look, it, you know, it's it's always electric. It's a subway series, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. could have, you know, we could have no disrespect. He's been incredible. I called him an unsung hero earlier, and, and that's exactly what he's been. But we could have Trevor Williams pitching, and I'd still be really excited. But the fact that it's Max and Jake elevates it. It's just that the fact that the Yankees have been as bad as they've been, 4-12 and 12 last 16, bad. it, it bad. de-elevates it a little bit, you know? I mean... But right now, look, the Mets just have to treat it like any other game. I know it's hard to do in the Subway Series, borderline impossible. I think Max and Jake are the two guys who can do it. Treat it like any other game. Keep winning. The Yankees aren't really the issue right now. It's the Braves. And just keep building on that division lead. Keep winning games, doing your job. And uh, and I think that they're going to be all right. You look at Frankie Montas. I mean, this is a guy who this trade screamed desperation to me for the Yankees because Castillo went to the Mariners. They, you know, they mustered up a bigger package than the Yankees were willing to. And Monta said a 318 ERA with Oakland. That in just three starts has ballooned to a 387 on the season. It's nine with the Yankees, 
One start at Yankee Stadium, six innings, six earned against Toronto. I mean, 14 innings, 14 earned as a Yankee. It's ridiculous. But they had to, maybe not to this extreme of 14 innings, 14 earned. They had to see this coming to some extent. Because the reason I said that this was a desperation trade, maybe they didn't do their homework, is that with Oakland, he made 19 starts. 13 of them were at home at the Yoko Coliseum. So this year, what's he done in nine starts away from the Oco Coliseum, six with Oakland, three with the Yankees. He's pitched 40 innings and allowed 28 earned runs. That's a 6.3 ERA. I mean, that tells you, I'm sorry, that's a big enough sample size that tells you Montas really benefited from playing in Oakland. Why? Because you mentioned his lack of domination rec. Last year, the guy was dominant, right? He was striking guys out, not at a crazy rate, you know, nothing like Scherzer or DeGrom, but he was about 27%, I believe. This year, his K rate is down 3%. And his fly ball rate is the highest of his career. He's 21% above the league average in fly balls. I mean, that's just the recipe for disaster at Yankee Stadium. So that trade, it does seem like desperation. And the Mets, by the way, a lot of success against Montas. Uh, he's never started against the Mets themselves. One relief appearance in 2017, allowed two runs. But current Mets hitters, 10 for 28 against them. It's a 357 clip. Lindor and Marte combined seven for 14 against them. Uh, I think, you know... I think the Yankees' best chance is actually with Herman in game one in this one because Montas has just, he has not had it at all. Uh, you know, I actually wish the Mets were facing Garrett Cole. I'd like to see him come out past the Audi logo and uh, and throw a few pitches against the Mets. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, we can't go that far, Joe, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, Garrett Cole, I don't know if you saw, I had a long tweet about it today. Garrett Cole is just, he's not cut out for New York. Oh, my the guy, God. I call him a poser. I can't. He's a poser, <laughs> and he's just, he's not cut out for New York. I mean, he, he can't, he does not handle adversity. Well, you, you need to be like this in New York, you know, you can't get too high. You can't get too low. And, uh, Garrett Cole, you know, he's punching the roof of the dugout. It, it's the Yankees are blowing up. I'm not going to lie. I fucking love it. But, but Wardy game two, Jake Montas. I mean, you know, what, what do you have to add? Uh, well, I got to I got to just say one little thing about Cole. You know, it's almost like throwing three hundred million dollars at a guy that was relying on spider tech wasn't the best idea. You know, maybe I'm going a little <laughs> far here, but yeah, game two for me again, it's taking advantage. You know, Montas for me, it's really interesting to see because again, we kind of knew the rain on the wall because you and I, Joe, especially had talked about Montas a lot when the Mets had shown previous interest in him earlier this year, of course, along with Castillo to varying degrees. And I'm really curious to see if he's someone that is going to settle and find his way in New York, or if this will again be a Sonny Gray, a Lance Lynn type situation where these are guys that have thrived elsewhere, but just can't do it at the big stage with the Yanks. It wouldn't be surprising because that's what we've seen thus far, but Jake's going to shove. If Jake is in fact starting with the way that we expect him to, I think that he's going to have all eyes on him more than he's ever had eyes on him this season, which is saying a lot. But the Subway Series, you know, everything's mainstream right now. This could be truly a show that just shows the dominance that, yes, the Mets, maybe they aren't known as being the crosstown overall in New York. It's still a Yankees town. But I think when you look at Steve Cohen and you make a statement with Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom potentially dominating back-to-back -back starts and sweeping the Yanks in a season where the Yanks have dominated for the large portion of the year, you're, you're going to see a lot of fans open their eyes and be like, wow, like the Mets are in fact different to the people out there that are still under this belief that they are somehow the little brother. I think that they are very much neck and neck, if not going to stay that way for a very long period of time. And we have this great honor to thank for. So that just kind of, you know, my little uh, tangent on game two and overall the series. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add to that, Tyler, is, of course, there are more Yankee fans in New York, in New Jersey, in the world than there are Met fans. But. When you talk about New York being a Yankee town versus a Met town, 
there is no buzz for the Yankees when they're playing good like there is for the Mets. I mean, Rick, come on. You you can, you know, you live this. 2015. Actual. 2015, the, the, baby. 2015. The Yankees, the Yankees were a playoff team. The Yankees were a really good team, right? The Mets, in the regular season, the Mets only won 90 games. That was the fewest wins of any of the five playoff teams in the National League. You know, I mean, both wildcard teams won 98, 97. Yep. Dodgers won 92, right? So yep. the Mets were, were good, but 90 wins... I feel like it used to mean more now in baseball. 90 wins is like, it's a good season. It's nothing crazy. But 2015, hey, it was buzzing for New York. It was buzzing for the Mets. It was a Met town. It was yeah. absolutely a Met town, even though the Yankees were a playoff team. We it was we owned the city. Was it Curtis Granderson that said real New Yorkers are Mets fans? Was yes. It was. Yes, By the way, did. I want he Curtis Granderson, and- unrelated, I want him to, work, to run for president. To me, he is like the most likable person you know he's he's just what a head guy. what a head he has on his shoulders he, he's perfect randy man can first picture in my the camera roll on my phone is him with my sister like seven years ago before a game because he Love would that. do he would do autographs and pictures before every single awesome game. dude awesome he's, dude one of the best teammates you could possibly ask for he he came in when he came in in 14 when they when they signed him um that was like a turning point you know people talk about the gary carter trade or you know bringing gary carter over bringing keith hernandez over everything they talk about it for those you know for the 86 team eventually getting to that point that was kind of our moment you know with curtis granderson it was when we signed him it was, wait we signed curtis granderson like we got grandy to go yeah. play for the mets that was huge for us and i think it led to you know kind of that run that we had whether it was 15 of course and then but the, you know the subsequent runs the years after um, having Grandy on that roster was just made it a completely different team. And uh, it, it was, he is that type of presence. He's that type of person for sure. He's one of the best people I've ever met. He goes to his, you know, he's in his uh, hometown area of Chicago doing so much good there for, for kids. And I remember in Arizona in you know, being there in, in the batting cages, hitting one day in the off season, he comes in with like eight kids in Arizona from Chicago, brought them all over. He, on his own dime, you know, like he's teaching these kids the game and, getting them involved and she's just a great great human being and someone i always love being around but that's a whole nother tangent sorry <laughs> to do that but no that's that's I, I, I hey, when that guy who played for both teams says real new yorkers are mets fans i'll take his word for it 100 no i look i could talk about grandy for for years literally i mean i i always say that 2016 that catch he made in that wild card game if oh the mets God. won that game that catch would be spoken about like the Andy Chavez catch against St. Mm-hmm. Louis in 06. I mean, that he, that yep. catch doesn't get the credit that it deserves for just, you know, he's a guy who just gave 110% every day, um, never let his attitude falter. What you were talking about earlier with McNeil and the attitude stuff in the past, you know, what I always admired most about Grandy was that I called it the Grandy Grimace. An umpire could make the worst call ever, punch him out on a ball two feet outside. He'd make that grimace. He'd make that look. Never said a word. That was the extent of it. Never said a word. I mean, he was, yeah, he, yeah, and and that was it. He was just, he's the best guy in the world. I absolutely freaking love Curtis Granderson. But like he said, real New Yorkers are Mets fans. Uh, when both teams are successful, you know, 06, the Yankees and Mets, I believe, had the same record. Both uh, both tied, best record in baseball. 06, it was a Mets town. 15 and 16, it was a Mets town. Right now, it's once again a Mets town. I think on that note, that's a good way to end it. For Anthony Recker, for Tyler Ward, make sure you go follow them on their socials at Anthony Record, whatever it is. Uh, oh, wait, one more thing, one more thing. He's more got thing. the blue check mark. You know, like I said last time, Rec, you, you always uh, you get the different Instagram from the Twitter, so I can't remember which is which. But he's got Here, the blue You know check what? Mark. We're going we're gonna to put this to rest right now because I don't even know what it is. So I'm going <laughs> to check. Okay. Anthony <laughs> underscore Wrecker for Twitter. 
Okay. And then I don't even got, know what it is for Instagram. You got the number okay. in Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Wardy, what was your last thing then? Well, one last thing, because I meant to mention earlier in the show, because I'm going to try to pump this out as much as possible. Guys, we have merch now, in case you didn't notice already. Saying this now, especially after a series where the Mets have won, because I know there's going to be more people watching and listening. Make sure to check out description down below, wherever you get your podcasts, either here on YouTube or, of course, audio podcasts. It's at shop.bleavforbelieve.com. Go down to the section on the left. It's going to say what shows you want, Believe in Queens. Seven different shirt options are all awesome. And, of course, if you want to click the link, it's all down below. So make sure to check it out. Thank you, guys. Yeah, absolutely. This isn't one of the Believe in Queens shirts, but always repping the network. Uh, I'm going to be, once those shirts come in the mail, I'm going to be wearing one every episode. So every I single, can't wait. And, uh, and make sure you go get that Get Wrecked shirt. I mean, come on. We've got Anthony Wrecker's silhouette of him hitting a home run. Get, one of get many wrecked, 13 you schmucks. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got a silhouette of Wrecker hitting a 13th oh, inning bomb perfect. on that shirt. So make sure you go get it. it. <laughs> Make sure you follow Tyler at Wardy NYM. By the way, absolute last thing I'm going to say, I promise. Uh, I flew home yesterday, Saturday from New York to LA. I'm in the airport and, you know, I actually, a little flex here, for the first time in my life, flew first class. So I wasn't going to drink at the airport because I'm like, I'm flying first class. I'm going to drink for free on the plane. But I was trying to watch the Mets game. I had like an hour and a half. It was game one of the doubleheader. So I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'll order one beer just so I can take up a seat and then watch, you know, the game until it's time to board. So the guy, the bartender comes over and I asked him, I'm like, Hey, can you put the Met game on? He's like, Oh, great, man. I'm a huge Met fan too. Like, I'm glad you asked whatever, what, um, you know, here he puts it on and we're talking about the Mets and he's like, you're really knowledgeable. And I'm like, Oh, well, yeah, thanks. I actually, you know, if you're into it, I've got a Met show. And he looks at me and he like slaps the counter and he goes, you do that show with Anthony Recker and Wardy. <laughs> I was like, yeah. That's awesome. And at first I was like, you know, also like screw you for not saying my name for saying you do it with Anthony Rector and Wardy. And he was like, you're Joe, right? And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Yes. So uh so that was a, a sick moment. Tyler, you know I also got recognized at City Field uh from this show. Actually, I was yes. going to meet Mike Piazza, and uh then a guy like tapped me and was like, you know, believe in Queens. By the time I was done talking to him, Piazza was gone. So Slight bummer, but honestly, I'll take that. It was cool. So the show is, you know, 16 episodes in, guys. Just wanted to let you both know. Uh, we're kicking ass. We're taking names. So that does it for episode 16 of Believe in Queens. Thank you all, especially airport guy, if you're listening, uh, for following us along every episode. And we will see you after the subway. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.